Recording in progress. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler Podcast, episode 71, coming to you on Monday morning, right before you hear this, broke out the telly, I don't know why I just had to, maybe it was the 4th of July, this is the Nancy Wilson telly, as I call it, it's a beautiful guitar, it was built by my buddy Roland Linz McKay, who has a company called Bonneville Guitars. And he's a, a guitar tech. He works for lots of bands. Um, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, White Snake, In Excess, David Bowie, you name it. But he worked for Hart. He still does. I think he's out with the Black Crows now. But he worked for Hart for a long time. And what Linz does is he can grab an instrument that somebody loves and make an exact replica of it. So he grabbed Nancy Wilson's beloved 1963 telly and made a copy. That's what this is. And uh, she played a concert with it and loved it and then handed it back to him and said, hey, I love this, but can you make one in blue? So I got the white one, baby. <laughs> I was like, I'm buying that, Linz. So he sold it to me on a CSN tour. And it's uh, it's an amazing instrument. And uh, figured I'd break it out. So here we are. Um, what, what can I say? You know, we're, we're, we're once again at a tumultuous time in history. You know, our 4th of July weekend was obviously marred by another mass shooting at a 4th of July parade, which is just sort of beyond the pale, and it's already pretty much out of the news cycle, as you know, when you're listening to this, and I'm not blaming anybody for that. It's just people get overwhelmed. How do you process such tragedy? You know, the stories that came out of that, a two-year-old walking around looking for his parents who had both been murdered, you know? his grandfather trying to explain to him that, you know, mommy and daddy are never coming home. That That's like out of a movie. You know what I mean? Like, that's like how superheroes are created or something. Like, their parents are murdered at some, you know, in some violent fashion. It's like Batman or something. It shouldn't happen. Do you know what I mean? I mention it like that in those terms because it's like, it's something you would make up in a horror novel. And we're living in a horror novel in America now. Every day, you know, every day in America, violence gun violence has just become epidemic. And I think a lot of people feel powerless to stop it, but we're not powerless to stop it. You know, what we have to do is we have to recognize what we're really facing, you know, and what's really motivating the right, because they'll jump on these issues as soon as they happen, right? When that shooting happened, all of Fox News and all of the usual, you know, Twitter idiot pundits, Marjorie Taylor Greens and your Lauren Boebert's, are blaming it on SSRIs, antidepressants, right? They're blaming it on pot. They're blaming it on video games, you know? If pot and video games made you into a mass murderer, <laughs> we'd already all be dead, you know what I mean? So, uh, and there wouldn't be any stand-up comics, okay? Because half of them, the ones I know, spend all their time, you know, smoking pot and playing video games at the at a certain level <laughs> not the famous ones you guys are thinking about because if you smoke a lot of pot it doesn't make you a great comedian as as some more famous comedians have remarked you know you want that sort of edge that uh that marijuana or cbd takes off but um for the most part but um everybody's gonna hear that and be like what about dave Chappelle?" you know what about him anyway uh so so here we are, you know, they have their messaging as soon as these shootings happen. 
they react. It's not the guns, it's all these other issues. And it gives cover to the people who believe in the Second Amendment. It gives cover to all the people I saw at the beach on the 4th of July with their Jeeps and their giant American flags hanging off the back of it and their American flag bathing suits that they're peeing in as they stand in the water with the beer in their hand and their coolie, right? America has turned into like pornographic displays of dumbass patriotism, right? That's nothing to be proud of, you know? And, and I've always been at odds with how we celebrate the 4th of July. I know it's fun when you're a kid to, to go to fireworks. And when municipalities would have a firework display, it was a cool thing for communities to come together and do it. Now we have like five days of the 4th of July where everybody's like a backyard Gucci brother, right? Everybody's got 40 grand worth of fireworks and they're blowing them up in their backyard you know, for, for a week and a half around it. Not everybody, but, you know, certainly around where I live, you know, it's it's horse country and, like, there's all these sort of big estates. I'm not rich. I'm just saying that there's some people around me that are wealthy and they have these, like, giant private fireworks displays that are scaring all the animals. I live next to, I shouldn't say where I live, but I live near a town in Connecticut that had a very famous Revolutionary War battle. And they had their their fireworks display for the town this Saturday night and I just got back from the beach and uh, their display went on for about a half an hour and it's maybe three or four miles down the road and the house was shaking you know and I went outside and the back deck was shaking it was literally shaking the earth it was thunderous explosions and between me and where this display was it was at the local high school there's just hills full of deer, full of squirrels, full of animals, full of horses, full of people's dogs and pets that are cowering under couches, full of vets with PTSD, you know, that are, that are getting triggered and traumatized by these displays of basically recreating bombs bursting in air, right? That's what fireworks are. You're sort of celebrating that we invented these gunpowder-filled bombs that gave us the upper hand in wars, right? I mean, that's what... Fourth of July is. It's a militaristic display of firepower, and that's patriotism. And we should salute and celebrate the fact that through violence, we've achieved something as a nation. If you break it down, that's what it's about. I know it's Independence Day, but the grosser aspects are now what's celebrated, right? And again, I'm not harshing on firecrackers and <laughs> big municipal, you know, Macy's Fourth of July and your town's display at a lake. I'm just trying to get us to look at it. You know, a nation soaked in violence, a nation ravaged by 20 years of overseas wars, right? Because the guys who per fought those wars had to come home and they're still coming home and dealing with their injuries, dealing with the fact they're not getting proper support at the VA, dealing with the fact that their service has been co-opted by the right into this toxic masculine message of sheepdogs. You know, I can't tell you how many dudes I saw at the beach this weekend that had the black t-shirt with the black flag on it made out of bullets and some dumb slogan on the back, you know, like guns and God and oil, which was Trump's tagline at his speech this weekend, right? So all that kind of patriotism is being weaponized and it's being weaponized against us and it's being weaponized in a way that makes us become numb to violence. You know, as we all kind of are as a culture anyway, all of our shows are like extremely violent, even the excellent ones. You know, I'm catching up on getting through Breaking Bad now because Better Call Saul is ending with the last six episodes starting tonight. And uh, so I'm, you know, I never fully got through Breaking Bad because it would always just depress me. Me and Stephen Stills tried to watch it on the tour bus. And as I said before, we were both like, dude, <laughs> we can't do this. <laughs> Life is hard enough, you know. But uh, my point is, you know, we are, we're, we're a nation that celebrates violence, that sees violence as entertainment, you know, as a thrill, as exciting. Fake violence granted you, you know, on the screen, but now we're a nation where real violence is, is besetting us and besieging us every day. People celebrating the 4th of July at that parade had to leave their strollers, leave their lawn chairs, leave their little flags they were waving and run away as they stepped over bodies that were turning into pools of blood, right? A, mom, a, a lady had to say goodbye to her mom. I love you, mom, but I got to run because he's still shooting. And she knew her mom was mortally wounded. That 
you know, that, that happens once in a country and we should all stop and make sure it never happens again. It happens every day, right? In the last month and a half, we've had three of these massive shootings that have provided stories that you could spend your life thinking about and processing the horror of just what those specific people had to deal with, right? And now we're having to do it all the time. And we're not, we're not being protected in the way we should against us, right? I mean, think of the anti-Semitism involved in this. This kid went to MAGA rallies. He was, you know, he was a loose cannon, you know, nut, no doubt about it. But that's who Trump attracts. That's who MAGA attracts, the worst of us, right? Trump appeals to the kind of kids that are broken, that want to pull the wings off of butterflies, you know, that want to step on a flower, that other people are admiring because they don't understand love and compassion because they're damaged people. And Trump, that's what Trump's always been. He's the kid who threw rocks at babies. He's a broken man. He just grew up wealthy and white and privileged in America. And he was the scion of a family that was big business for laundering money, right? For the Genovese crime family. That's what his dad did. All those buildings in Queens and Brooklyn and Jersey, they were all a tax scheme and a way to launder money for the mop, right? For the five families. So if he hadn't been born into that relative position of privilege in New York City, had he been born in the Bronx with the same broken psyche, he would have gotten his ass kicked by somebody else's brother or father. Some other woman's father would have taken him out 20 years ago, or he would have gotten thrown in jail for sexual assault or any of the other crimes that he's done, but he's rich and privileged and nobody wants to really go after him, right? I've talked about it before. He, you know, he put a hit out on his three executives at Taj Mahal and had the chopper go down and got away with it. And everyone knew he did it. Everyone knew it was suspicious, but what are you going to do? You can't prove it. And now you hear the same thing. What are you going to do? You can't prove it. You, you, you can prove it. You can prove that Trump's criminally corrupt. Seven and a half hours are missing from the White House call logs on the day the Capitol was being attacked. You have proof of that, right? You have proof that he was using his cell phone in the Oval Office to avoid the phone calls going through the White House log. You have proof that he picked up the notes from the translator in Helsinki when he had a private meeting with Putin that nobody else was allowed into. Then he stole the minutes. That alone should have been the end of his presidency, and that was like 2019, you know, maybe even 18. So it should have been over then. He's a criminal. He's always been a criminal. I was in a meeting with uh, a luncheon with a guy named James Zirin, who, who wrote an excellent book about Trump's 4,000 lawsuits before he became president. And I happened to be sitting at a table across from Ray Kelly, who was there with his girlfriend, the former New York City police commissioner and sort of capo to Giuliani, you know, the, the stop and frisk guy, the tough guy, broken windows, kind of, you know, cleaning up the city, take no, no grief. His son's a rapist, Greg Kelly, who's now like a Newsmax host and stuff. And he got out of it because his dad was police commissioner, but he legit raped somebody in their office and uh, in his office. And uh, so scumbag, scumbag family, right? And uh, James Zirin talks about this point in the book where he's got a direct quote from Trump, like not wanting to talk to the mobsters that he does business with in his office because all the mobsters knew it was bugged, right? And James, uh, Ray Kelly starts laughing. You know, he just gives this knowing chuckle, like, yeah, of course it was. So everybody knew who Trump was for a long time. That's my point. But he had achieved enough wealth you know, and sort of status, even if it, his wealth was a paper tiger kind of thing, it was still wealth, right? It still attracted other people because there's commissions involved. There's law firms that want that account. There's banks that want that account. And for a while, he had turned into a pretty decent money grifting operation, right? He had Ivanka Trump as the face of the organization. So they do these scams like in Baja where they'd pretend to build a condo that they were never going to build, but people invest money and they'd bail Azerbaijan, Toronto, the list goes on. And they had the dirty guys behind it. Felix Sater, you know, his best friend, Michael Cohn from childhood is the, the mobster lawyer kind of covering up and keeping Trump's, you know, keeping Trump out of trouble for the, the vice crimes, so to speak, and the affairs and all this. So they had a semi-functional, dysfunctional money laundering op rolling, you know, all the way up until he came under Putin's sort of watch, 
you know, when, when Mark Burnett had done a good enough job of real, you know, rehabilitating his image that Putin's like, I'll back this presidential run, right? So you have a guy who's built a whole emperor, emperor, empire, pardon me, you know, on this grift, on this underworld, sort of like marrying the underworld with legit financial world, right? With Deutsche Bank and stuff, with all these other big conglomerates, right? And that's the key. When you get to that level of stuff, you become untouchable, right? I mentioned Breaking Bad, but like the parent company on Breaking Bad was that German conglomerate, right? I can't think of the name right now, but if you've watched the show, you know, it was this German company, this big international company that had all this ability to sort of like cover, give cover for all these darker ways to bring in revenue, you know? And that's a real thing in the world, okay? That's a fictitious show, but some of the things they're pointing at actually exist, right? Ozark did a great job on that too. There's a scene where the kid's in a classroom, like in the first season or two, and he starts explaining money laundering to the teacher and how it helped prop up the American economy during the financial crash in 2008, right? So there's reality to all that. Felix Sater and Michael Cohn had a, a real estate, uh, not a real estate, but a, like a finance company for a minute that was tied to Trump down on Wall Street until it got too sketchy and people backed out, right? But Wall Street, real estate, big banking, it all kind of can merge in this gray area, right? And you can get away with a lot of stuff. And if you can, you, if you can make that sort of manageable enough that the dark money will become attracted to it, you know, your, your Koch brothers, your Leonard Leo, your Federalist Society, these guys that, that own big, legit, real scary industries like oil and gas, you know, things that are really destroying the planet. Not that mob and drug dealers aren't bad, but, you know, it's a drop in the bucket compared to, say, what the actual pharmaceutical legit industry is doing to people or the, you know, petrochemical industry, right? That They're the real big players, the real big criminals, so to speak, right? So if you can marry those two worlds with just straight thuggery, you know, and this BS patriotism that he's sold to people, that's a mighty force, and you got to recognize it. As Democrats, you got to really realize what you're up against, because they do. You know, Trump's an idiot, but his, all of his advisors aren't. You know, Steve Bannon is a savvy little weasel. You know, a guy who used to make meth in his bathtub in Miami, you know, is a bad dude, right? If you don't know what I'm referring to, you should look up the article of the house that Bannon rented in Miami, and it was just like, it was like Breaking Bad. It was like Jesse Pinkman's house when he went to the dark side and let everybody spray paint on the walls. And there's a great account of, like, the guy who had to go in and, like, do repairs, like the handyman, and he would just get, like, completely freaked out because it was so sketchy, like a drug den. But anyway, I digress. My point is, when you get that strong in your messaging and you're able to motivate people on such a, visceral level to act on their worst instincts, you're entering, you know, Third Reich territory. You're entering Hitler's beer hall push. You know, that's why Bannon is trying to get in front of the January 6th committee because he knows how much more power and reach his message is going to have on people. He'll guarantee you be providing clips for Fox News and Newsmax and all these other people you know, OAN or whatever, to, to get that message out. And that message resonates with people. That message is, is, is burning up the charts right now, right? That's the popular tune that's loud, right? That's who you see. You don't see Democrats flying Biden flags and getting tattoos, you know? They're, they're infighting. And, and, you know, we're talking about the complexities of all these issues, which is fair because it is complex, you know, pick a poison because there's a lot of them coming at you these days. And it's hard to figure out what the right approach is. But you got to get some cohesiveness in your messaging or you're going to get beat. You know, it's like you got to focus on uh, uh, one thing at a time. Like I was talking about touring, right? The first time I sort of got promoted to a tour manager level was I'd been like a road manager for Jackson and done a lot of stuff with CSN. And then one of the you don't need all the details, but I had to go fill in for somebody as the tour manager on a solo tour with Jackson Brown on like a moment's notice. And I was out in Austin doing a gig with the Foo Fighters for an MTV show. It was like spring break, the Woody Awards, it was called. 
was during South by Southwest and stuff. And I, you know, I got this call like, hey, no, you're not going back to New York. You're going to L.A. and then you're going up to Canada and you're going to do a solo tour with Jackson. It's basically just you and him and the crew. And Jackson is my mentor and sort of, you know, guy I, I, I've looked up to my whole life and known a long time. But, you know, it's a professional role. You're not there to be his buddy. You know, you're, you're there to, to be the bad guy as a tour manager and deliver the news and the stressful stuff about like what the logistics are. It's daunting and uh, to say the least. And I was all freaked out. And my friend, I won't say his name, but the, he's still the tour manager for uh, for all those guys and uh, for Foo Fighters and, you know, whatever. But um, Blink-182, the guy's had a hard year, <laughs> right? But anyway, I said, dude, you know, I got to go up to Canada next week and do like a two-month tour. And now I'm the tour manager. Like I got to do all the hotel stuff and settle the shows and all this crazy stuff, you know. And he goes, look, you're going to be fine, Noel. What you need to do is keep focusing on the next thing you have to do. Just focus on the next thing, right? Essentially, stay in the moment. You know, decide what's important and just go down the list. You can't do everything at once. And I think that message is, is, a, is a positive one for us as Democrats right now or as people who care about the planet. Whatever your label is, you know, if you're a sentient being, it becomes overwhelming quickly, you know, and the and, and it'll freak you out. You become less effective because you don't, you can't operate clearly. At least I can't. I can only speak for myself, but I'm I'm the kind of person who gets easily overwhelmed, you know. But if I can keep it simple and, and just focus on the next right thing, it's like the next breath, you know, bringing it back to the breath. I'll get through it, you know. It's like one day at a time. That's how you get sober, right? It's just one day at a time. The day you quit drinking, you don't think like, well, what am I going to do at my wedding when everybody's toasting with champagne? No, you don't think about that now. Think about getting through today and letting your head hit the pillow sober and do whatever it takes to get there. And a lot, oftentimes it takes breaking it down into the moment, to breathing, to stopping and praying or saying a mantra or whatever it is or calling your sponsor, you know, or reaching out to somebody and say, I'm freaked out in this moment. That's how we get through this stuff, right? By reaching out to others, by getting a sense of community and bringing it into the moment and having other people help us in like, what do we need to focus on next? That's what leadership is. Leadership is acknowledging how daunting and difficult what you're facing is, right? But, but finding the strength and discipline to stay on message and be honest about what you're facing. Like Winston Churchill is a master, was a master at that, right? He got his country to fight back in the face of, you know, pretty daunting odds there. You know, after the Germans had made it all the way to Calais, Calais, you know, and France, and next stop was England, you know, and they were already getting bombed. And it was like, nope, we're not going to give up. We're not going to surrender. We're going to stand and fight. And that's going to come at a terrible cost. And there's going to be some dark days ahead. But we're going to get through it to a person because we're going to be united in this fight. And we're going to keep doing the next right thing. And the first thing we got to do is get a bunch of boats over there and rescue our boys that are about to get slaughtered. Right? Dunkirk. And they did it. Right? Because it became very simple. I got a boat. I can take on six people. Well, get going, buddy. You're right. And that happened across a whole nation. And they did it because everybody pitched in. A and the, the danger was obvious. Like the Germans are going to slaughter these guys if we don't get them. Right. And then we got involved, you know. And then we had like allies get very, you know, specific about how we were going to push these guys back. And we did it, you know. It was a great cost, but we did it. June 6th, we landed on the beaches of Normandy in Omaha Beach and went through the air and went through the sea, you know, and brought the fight right to them, even in overwhelming odds where the other side was entrenched, where they had hornet's nests and, you know, and, and machine guns ready to slaughter us. And people knew you weren't going to make it the first few waves, you know. You were sacrificing yourself so somebody else could live. Right. But you knew what the you knew what the battle plan was. Right. You knew what you had to do and you knew what the costs were on the other side. And we have to start looking at the threat to democracy the same way because it's going to be too late. They, they don't have our best interests at heart. 
You get a Trump or a DeSantis back into office, it's game over. And they've already made so many inroads. You should think of all the states that have GOP state senates now, you know, and state secretar secretaries of states. Secretaries, I don't know if I said it right. You know what I'm talking about. Look what Pennsylvania did over the weekend. They had, they slipped in voting rights, sort of like eviscerations, you know, stripping basically minorities from the right to vote because they were doing voter ID laws. They're doing you can't vote after 11. They were attacking mail-in ballots. They have all these super restrictive voting things that are happening now in Pennsylvania that are obviously aimed at Philadelphia, you know, to keep away, you know, the African-American vote from the Republicans that are trying to take over the state, right? So they slipped in those voting rights things to an anti-abortion bill and did it in the 11th hour, you know, in the state Senate and sort of got away with it because they have a Republican speaker. And, and all these laws get arcane in each of individual states and people don't focus on the individual Republicans at the state legislature's level and how much power they have but they wield a ton of power, right? So all these nut jobs can get in there and get these bills passed. North Carolina has a bill where they just allocated $50,000 to, to remove electric charging stations, right? Because they said, unless you provide free gas and free diesel next to the electric cars, it's not fair. So they introduced a bill to, to allocate funds to destroy electric cars, right? Which sounds insane right but it's not insane if you've already bought in all this MAGA BS you know that electric cars are some kind of liberal bad thing and you're being manipulated by the Koch brothers and Koch Industries uses North Carolina as like their their test lab right they use it to try out all their stuff because that's where they go after public education social security Right. It's an easy place to start, you know, because it's you're not going to get a lot of resistance down there. And most of the people are going to agree with it. Right. It's a state that gave us Madison Cawthorn and Mark Meadows. <laughs> it's not known for backbone and morality. Right. Not saying the people there. I'm talking about the Republicans that come out of there. Right. It's where the guy was cheating. Remember, the guy got elected and he was cheating on the ballots and stuff. So, you know, it's a perfect place to just try out whatever crazy thing you want to do and see how it works and it works so my point is these states have so much power the republicans already have so much power that with a few more wins you know on the state level right you know you got your christy gnomes you get your carrie lake in in arizona and you already got doug Ducey. you already got a madman basically in there so that all is like the germans taking over europe you know think of those states as like Belgium, you know, and Poland, and France, right, and Holland, right? Think of like, you got to start thinking about it that way. You got to start looking at the local state governments and, and, and how many inroads they've already made because what's going to happen is we're going to have these midterm elections, you know, and they're going to either get more seats or they're going to start the voter like it wasn't fair, we're not certifying that ballot. We're not sending that congressman to Capitol Hill. We're going to send our Republican friend. And then that's going to be writ large in the next presidential election, right? Where, where, where whole states like Pennsylvania, who their governor candidate, Doug Mastriano, said he would not certify a Democratic president, you know? So you'll have a whole state next time that's going to say, nope, sorry, Biden or whoever didn't win here it's DeSantis or Trump or Biden or Trump that we're sending to DC. We have alternative electors. We're sending them. Screw you. We won. And that's Trump's motto. F you, stop me. Right? He's still trying he's still trying to get Wisconsin to invalidate the 2020 election and restore him to power. That's absolutely insane and he's still talking about it. You know, a year and a half after he attacked the Capitol, he had a rally on Saturday night in Alaska and said, I'm your candidate for guns, God, and oil. And it, it, it's no accident that it went in that order, right? Guns is sexier than God, but they got to hear the God thing to feel good about the guns because it makes them feel good about themselves. And then oil is just fun, right? 
because it's it's an engine and it hurts the lib and it hurts the libs and it destroys the planet and it's fun and it makes me feel powerful even though I'm 40 pounds overweight and probably couldn't do 10 push-ups I get on a big motorcycle and feel like a man or climb into a giant pickup truck and feel like a badass even though really I know I'm powerless because I never got that educated and I never went that far and I got a lot of other issues in my life and I don't understand them so here comes this freaking clown telling me that I'm a true patriot and I can have a gun and I can cheer all the things that I don't like that is powerful that is appealing to the worst basis instincts of people appealing to their homophobia appealing to their racism and telling them that it's okay to feel that way it's not okay to feel that way you're broken if you feel that way you're wounded you've been programmed by generations of racism which is ignorance and ignorance is fear right so you're reacting from such a scared place which so many Americans are. So much of what we're given is protect yourself. You know, everything's home alarm, guns, all this stuff. There's all these bad guys that are out there to hurt you. Nature is there to hurt you. Ticks and bears and snakes. And, you know, it's the same kind of like, what? People were living for millions of years, no problem. Native Americans didn't have alarm systems, right, where they were living. They didn't have a word for trash, right? Because they saw everything of value. They worshiped the animals that sustained them and give them, gave them life. White folks came here from Europe and slaughtered all the buffaloes, saw all the giant trees and cut them down and sent the wood back to Europe. We saw everything as an opportunity for capitalism, right? And capitalism, in many ways, funds racism. That's what W.E.B. Du Bois was talking about, right? One of the founders of the NAACP, right? Dude went to Harvard in like 1894 or something. He was born in Great Barrington, Mass. He went to Harvard. Can you imagine going to Harvard as a black man in the late 19th century? You know, a gift in intellect like that is, you know? And he, he tried to educate people. And one of his themes was that capitalism you know, was a, a big driver of racism. You know, he spoke out like on socialist issues and stuff and socialism, you know, which they've now made a bad word. There's no accident. It's the same play because he saw that greedy people could be like, hey, if I abuse people and make them do the work that I don't want to do for free, I can control all this. I can become wealthy and powerful and then I can bring over indentured servants and I can start exploiting other people just like me you know that are scared and that want to achieve power and wealth in this world instead of sharing it instead of trying to protect others instead of trying to make sure everybody gets a fair shot at happiness and a decent life right it's the same thing he was calling it back then w-e-b dubois right same shit, man. Same, same, same story, different day. And, and now it's like amplified. You know, somebody wrote an op-ed in the New York Post yesterday about Christians are under attack and they're not going to take it anymore. White Christians. What? You're not under attack. You are the attackers. Okay? I'm not going to go on a rant about Christianity, but like, come on. We're the ones that had the crusades. You know, not, I, I, was, I was raised by, you know, Catholic Irish, Irish Catholic family I come from. And my grandma was like the opposite. You know, Bobby Kennedy was her hero. She hung out with those radical priests you heard about in the Paul Simon songs, Philip and Daniel Berrigan. She was an anti-war protester. She marched with Dr. King, you know, in her 70s. My, you know, I've told you this before, but they did a lot of work in Haiti. They had a lot of friends in Haiti. Part of their church was, was in Haiti, their congregation. And uh, they went down there after the earthquake and there was guards not letting my grandma get past, you know, through this road. She wanted to get up to Saltadere, which was a town where they built, my grandma helped build a school and wells and all this kind of stuff. And uh, she was sneaking past armed guards in her 70s, right, in a dangerous place, you know, in an unstable political climate, you know, where violence is often used. To wield power she didn't care because her faith had her going up that hill and trying to feed somebody or rescue somebody who needed rescuing 
not consolidate power out of fear, right? And that's what the white Christian nationalist group is trying to do now in America. They're afraid, right? They're, they're sending in all this fear that, you know, the white man is disappearing and, and our population is going to be eradicated. No, it's not, right? And this country's only made better by immigration. And we're all immigrants, as we all know. That's the other thing is people forget that. Not the people who listen to this podcast, but the people who are being fed this pablum think they were like born here, you know, or, you know, you, do you know what I mean? Originally, they weren't. <laughs> You know, they came from Europe, but people forget that. You know, it's all been so commercialized. American dream is a commercial thing at this point, you know, and we're generations into the dumbing down that Fox News and Pablum Nashville music has provided to people. You know, the anti-mask, do not comply, I'm an American bullshit that you hear constantly and that has just reached an epidemic stage. I saw a video this morning on TikTok of like people worshiping the flag, like a whole family getting down on their knees and worshiping at a flag. And then the father came over and draped American flag around the kids and the wife. And this awful country song was playing. Not good real country. I mean that crap that's like the same thing as Fox News, just dumb stuff was like, yeah, God, please help us. We got troubles a mask can't solve. A mask can't solve. You know, the lyric was to that effect, right? That's all being fed to you by big business, right? Because they want to keep those kind of people dumb. They want to keep those people worshiping a flag instead of asking why the guys that are selling them that stuff are ruining their planet, why they're taking away those kids some of them were girls, their rights later on in life. You know, all these states went right into the abortion ban. Women are going to die, unfortunately, and horrifically because of this, because of white Christian males thinking they know what's best and not believing in science. And it doesn't come from the heart. It comes from fear and a desire to wield power. Very, very terrifying, and it's very overwhelming. And I'm not trying to bum anybody out, I'm just trying to comment on it. You know, it's dangerous, and we need to wake up to how dangerous it is. Because they're, you know, we're talking about the hearings, and Trump's having rallies, and Bannon is messing with the committee. Yeah, I think I'll, uh, maybe I'll, you know, if you agree to my terms, I'll come and testify. Here's a guy who's been arrested, been pardoned, been arrested again, total scumbag his whole life, and he's still walking around. It's the epitome of white privilege. You know, Trump is the epitome embodiment of white privilege. You know, Ivanka, Ivanki as I call her, and Jared are posting vacation pics from Morocco the other day. You know, they came out of the White House with $640 million dollars from a service position, you know, from trying to, you know, a job that's supposed to be about helping people, not getting rich. The rich got richer, and they want more, and they're coming back, and it's a big grift, you know, and a lot of people are grifting on the left, too, you know. If you like what I say, send me some money. Why? Send the money to somebody who's hungry. Do you know what I mean? I'm not knocking on everybody, but you got to be real careful about where you spend your resources because, you know, people are coming to take them, you know, especially as things get more desperate and scary. It's easy to grift off of people's fear. That's why there's no, hopefully never any commercials on this podcast or whatever, you know, don't send me any money. I'm not doing this for money. I know I said that about Substack. I may try to do some longer things that I can't just put in a tweet and find a way to, to serve people because the tweets get very like, you know, there's so many trolls out there and there's so many sort of annoying people on both sides that just want to pick out a typo or whatever instead of the larger point. And I promise you most of what I say is coming straight from the heart, unless it's just a joke or something. When I'm talking about politics, I'm saying it because this is what I see. I'm not saying it because please retweet this. I've never asked for a retweet or anything in my life. It's not who I am. And you got to be careful of these organizations that are trying to amass their own power because, you know, it's scary, and you got to be scared of the politicians that are just like, here, send me some more money. You know, sending out texts, asking for donations. The second after, you know, Roe v. Wade 
goes down or there's another shooting or something, you know? There's a lot of me, me, help support me going on, you know? And everything becomes a grift. It's like MSN, you know, as I always talk about. 2015-16 is what gave us Trump because Jeff Zucker and CSN saw there was a lot of money in it, you know? It was a lot of money to be made. And that, that, that should be a warning sign in and of itself because the people that control that will survive. You know, the big corporations kind of don't like to tell you, but they do better under the Republican administrations because they know they're not going to pay taxes and stuff, you know. And they're not going to be having protests out in Amagansett. You know, the guys sitting on their big estates playing at winged foot don't have to worry about stuff. You know, no matter how it goes, they're good. Right? Even if all the public schools get defunded and, de you know, sort of filled with poison as DeSantis is doing. DeSantis, as I said last week, is offering bonuses to teachers to not teach civics. You know, they're trying to not teach the true history of slavery, enslaved people. You know, they're trying to deny others pain for their own power. And you got to watch out for people who do that, you know. And, and as I said, you just, we got to get strong in our messaging. You know, we got to get disciplined because guns, God, and oil is going to be a powerful message. It, it's the new Make America Great Again. And it's going to resonate with the dumbasses that we've all seen. You know, the guys with the giant mufflers and the flags and, you know, the people who just want to, like, be an idiot. And Trump's given them permission to do that. And that's a powerful thing in the modern American psyche because a lot of people are just dumb. You know, and I'm not trying to diss on all Americans. I just mean they, they, you know, as I say all the time, humanities and arts and all these things have been stripped out of public education and sort of American public life. And it's been replaced with this, hey, shut up, grab a beer, wave a flag, you know, pretend like everything's okay. Act out against the, the others, whether those are gay people or Jewish people, you know, minorities, immigrants. It's all poison that they're feeding these people and they're reveling in it and the anti-semitism stuff alone should horrify everybody you know a, a, a synagogue in san antonio just had to cancel an event over the weekend because they got so many death threats that shouldn't be happening and if it did happen because it did the fbi should be down there merrick garland should be down there just like the justice department was down in mississippi you know and down in louisiana when they were pulling all the civil rights stuff we need an LBJ. We need somebody, you know, who's going to be like, this ain't going to stand. We got to start fighting back. You know, we got to start. Uh... Sorry, I was going to grab the guitar, but it's all chords all wrapped up. We got to start realizing how dangerous this threat is. You know, we, we really do, because I feel like we're going to wake up and it's going to be too late. And we're already, you know, it's already like quarter past ten. Right. It's already a pretty dark time in American history. You know, the mass shootings alone, 220 people lost their lives over the weekend. You know, I was on Block Island riding my bike around trying to connect with nature, you know, watching butterflies, watching fish, watching birds, you know, watching families smile and laugh on the beach and thinking some other family was getting a call right about now that their loved one was no longer alive because they didn't make it through the weekend the weekend that you're supposed to be celebrating America's independence and ability to live free and have a religious freedom and all these things that we're supposed to be based on. And now you have one of the parties saying, no, there's no religious freedom. It's white Christians. Jews are bad, right? As, as they say it, right? That's why there's so much anti-Semitic stuff and all the MAGA language. You know, and the George Soros and all this thinly, not even thinly veiled anti-Semitism. African Americans are bad. Immigrants are bad. The only thing that's good are white Christians. That's terrifying, but that's the message they're giving the same people that are celebrating the supposed greatness and democracy and independence of this nation. While people are dying because of a product that nobody should have in their hands and that 400 million Americans or 330 mil, million Americans, right? 400 million guns, right? So there's 400 million guns out there, you know, 
and half of those guns, 200 million, are owned by 3% of the population. That's less than 10 million people, right? So there's 10 million people in America with 200 million guns. That alone should terrify you. That's not what the Second Amendment was. That's not what the Founding Fathers meant. And it's all gotten so out of hand, you know, and this SCOTUS judges with this strict interpretations of the Constitution are going to lead us to our demise, and they don't care, you know, and that's why people reacted to Brett Kavanaugh getting his steak dinner interrupted at Morton's, and he wasn't even interrupted. He just slipped out the back door, you know, and we're supposed to, hey, you can screw us over and ruin our lives, but your, your ability to eat, you know, a baseball cut filet mignon at the palm should not be hampered because that's your birthright as a wealthy white American who's achieved a position in the firmament of power, right? And Kavanaugh represents that just like Trump represents the, you know, the apex of dumbass, corrupt, like mediocre white man born into wealth. Kavanaugh represents the country club, Bethesda, Chevy Chase, prep school rapist who went to the right schools and still gets to go up the right track, never giving up any of his vices or his defects, being a gambler, being an alcoholic, you know, being just an awful little person, right? But he always went up. He failed up. And when he got to his highest achievement, which was the, which was the hearings for his confirmation on the Supreme Court, he threw a temper tantrum. Because he's like, why are you questioning me? This is my birthright. And all those other guys like Lindsey Graham were like, yeah, it's his birthright. How dare a woman come in here and excuse him of something he might have done in high school 30 years ago. Boys will be boys, damn it. And he's a white boy and he can do whatever he wants. Because we said so. Because it's our country. And that's what's happening. And he got his lifetime appointment. And he's one of nine people who gets to decide the fate of 330 million people. That ain't right. And we need a leader who's going to admit that. Not play along with it, believing in institutions. A lot of your institutions have failed you, and they're certainly not protecting you in the way they should. Right? The Supreme Court just basically, you know, hamstrung the EPA. Wait till you see what the fallout of that is like in the coming years. You know, letting states make their own environmental policy. Texas has rolling blackouts today because they went away from the national grid because they didn't want regulation because big energy interests own the state government. They own Governor Abbott, right? So they don't have the protections that other states have. If California, that's part of the national grid, or, or, or Nevada or surrounding state needs help, another state will roll in power and help them. They can't do that in Texas because they removed themselves from the grid because they wanted no regulation. Think of, And now they're going to have rolling blackouts and triple-digit heat. You want to be at 105 degrees, you know, in Plano, Texas or whatever, and not be able to turn on the AC because your governor took kickbacks from the energy industry? That's what's happening. You're not living in the 20th century or the 21st century. You're getting exploited, and you're going to die for big business, because people die in heat waves, you know, it's dangerous, and the heat waves are extreme because of the same industry, because of the oil and gas, it's like a snake eating its own tail, and it's a dangerous cycle to be in, it's like a whirlpool, once that thing starts spinning, and gets that movement churned up by so much money, and so much corruption, it's hard to get out of it, right, and I mean, that's a depressing thought, but you know, that's a good metaphor. What's happening in Texas is going to be happening in other states, thanks to the Supreme Court and what they said about the EPA. You know, it's game on for the oil and gas industry and, and, and polluting our air, our air. You know, we have an addiction to fossil fuels. We need to get away from it. It's poison. We need to stop. We need to conserve energy. You know, use it sparingly. It's a deadly thing. It's not good. It's not doing anybody any favors. But the other side can manipulate us all with oil and gas prices and all that, you know, all the stuff that, you know, look over here while you don't see what we're doing over there. You know, that's what a lot of it comes down to, you know. And I was going to talk about how Trump weaponized the IRS, right? A guy who didn't even pay his income taxes used the IRS to go after his perceived enemies, you know, which was FBI directors, 
You know, think of how much of criminal you have to be to like use the IRS to attack an FBI agent, you know, not even agent, like a director and an assistant director, you know, Comey and Ray. And Ray's a Federalist Society guy, and Comey's not exactly a bleeding heart liberal, right? But even those guys weren't free of Trump's corruption and his ability to weaponize our institutions. So you get a guy like DeSantis in there doing that kind of stuff, it's going to be scary. And it'll be scary with Trump too, but it'll be hopeful if we get the right leadership in there. And I'm not saying we don't have the right leadership now. Biden's doing a great job. But we also need to encourage that younger generation. You know, Pete Buttigieg is a masterful speaker. AOC is plugged in to the youth, you know, and the zeitgeist of how to really effectively communicate. And we have to communicate hope. And we have to come together and get discipline. Because this is the hour. The hour is upon us. It's serious. It's go time. You know, we need a Churchill. We need somebody to say, we're going to get through this. There's going to be sacrifice and heartache ahead, but we're going to get through this. We're going to right this ship. And we are going to. I firmly believe that or I wouldn't be doing this podcast. Okay? In the meantime, enjoy your summer. Get some sun on your face. Get in the water if you can. Go out and look at a butterfly. Look at a bee. They're beautiful. I like watching them play. Every time somebody sees like a little fly or something, you know, you think to swat it away as a pest. I look at them like they're happy. They're flying around all psyched, man. They're like, wow, I'm alive. This is amazing. And they have short little lives, but they're here and they're present and they're flying and they're on a summer day and they're landing on a flower and they're feeling a breeze. You know, they're under a blue sky and so are we, right? The sun rose today. It's going to set tonight. It's going to be a blue sky somewhere. There's green grass. You know, there's still a lot of good on this planet. I'm talking about things of the mind and the politics and, and, and you know, situations and governments and stuff. That's, that's the, the ego side of life. That's not the presence beyond it. The presence beyond it has wisdom and is large and, and enveloping. And, and you can choose it any moment. You can get conscious contact with that, you know, that universe, that great beyond that fuels us all. So go out and do it in whatever way that is for you. Go out and do it. Okay. So that's enough. I got to put this thing out. It's like 12. So <laughs> I'm going to upload it now. Hope you all have a great week. The hearings are again tomorrow, as you know. So I'll be back to discuss that comedy show coming up August 3rd, Cape Cod, the music room in West Yarmouth. It's a great venue, great sound, great food, wine bar, everything you need to come out on a hot summer night and get some laughs on. So come on out and check that out too. Going to have some other exciting stuff coming up. Again, thanks for everybody who listens to this, who sends me the kind messages. I love you all. I wouldn't get through this without you. And, and you know, that we're all in this together. You know, this is, this is, this is something we're going to be telling our grandkids about this time. So let's all buckle up for the ride and let's get it done because we're going to. And remember, love always wins. Thanks for listening, guys. Episode 71 of the Noel Kassler Podcast. Peace.